Cream of the crop on a night like tonight, but uh, you know, uh, probably later on this summer we'll be glad for every drop. That's, uh, we're glad for Joe and for the, the interesting and fascinating things he's bringing to our attention about this second generation leadership in the church. And uh, I want to leave you some more prayer and then we'll just turn it over to it. Let's bow together. Father, we are thankful for this day. We are even thankful for the rain, Lord. We're thankful for our church and our future. We're thankful for Betsy that we honored today and the good meal we had and our service today and the good choir that just uh, really thrilled us. We pray, Lord, that we'll always have a hunger to know your word, to find out more and more about its depth, its meaning, its purpose for us, Never lose our love, Lord, of learning. Uh, and Lord, help us to uh, just be mindful of that. We're thankful for Joe and how he leads us and what he brings to our minds and hearts that perhaps maybe we've never heard before that makes us want to even learn more. And bless him tonight and bless our church and the important days ahead. These things we ask in thy name. Amen. Okay, Joe. All yours. <coughs> Ah, uh, yes. Uh, last uh, week, uh, 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 one of the things that June and I and other faculty these days, not the ten-year-ago faculty, of which I was one, but uh, one of the things we have to be really careful of is that we, we, we say things that are true in our classes because we have students sitting there behind those little walls who are fact-checking us on every single thing we say. <laughs> you mention a name and they have told Google to show it to them. So, you, so you, you, you can't bluff your way through it like we could a few years ago, or at least that I got pretty good at. And, uh, and I'm, hearing, I'm hearing that we did some fact-checking after last Sunday night here. Uh, and I, I, I hope that our facts held up. I, don't, I think they did. But, John, uh, they did, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, good stories, good stories. Um, the only way I have ever learned to teach is with stories. And I'll find a way to take the driest stuff in the world, even if I have to embellish a bit here and there, I'll make it a story. Uh, I want to tell you two stories tonight. Uh, we have two weeks to go and three people after tonight. Uh, but I want to add two to the list. Uh, so I'm going to kind of divide it in half, a half hour, half hour, uh, to tell you two people that, um, uh, that, that I am a great uh, admirer of. Uh, the, the reason these two people kind of stand together without being actually related in any way to each other uh, is that these are two whose, whose names have survived in a strong way over the millennia. Um, we still think a lot about these two people. Uh, the second one I want to talk about, in my view, we, we've looked several times at the list in Romans 16. You know that list at the end where we find so many names. Uh, out of that list, the one we want to talk about tonight is the one who has endured 
uh, for scholars and Bible students alike for all of these years in between. Uh, the first person that I want to introduce to you tonight is not, re it's not really an introduction because it, this is somebody that uh, you are to a certain extent familiar with. But his story is not often told. Um, his name is Apollos. We have dealt with Apollos before. Um, he shows up rather prominently at a couple of places in Acts. The backstory, the story behind Apollos, is what I want to uh, to, uh, to get to tonight, and then talk about what what I think, in at least in my judgment, is an enduring legacy from Apollos. Uh, and I think as we go, you'll see why. Apollos is from where? That is correct. Apollos is where we're not only going to try to introduce Apollos tonight, but what is clearly the second most important city in the Roman Empire. And it's not in Europe. It is right there. It's at the bottom side of the Mediterranean. It sits right at the delta of the Nile, Alexandria. At this time, Alexandria was a very large city. It was still a relatively new city. It was the capital of the Roman province of Egypt. Every Roman province had a capital. And the capital of the Roman province of Egypt was, uh, was Alexandria. Alexandria had some of the, it, it was, it was the, it, it, it kind of competed with Athens for being the most intellectual city in the empire. Uh, and and there, were, there are certainly enough people around who will argue that in the battle with, with, uh, uh, with Athens, Alexandria comes out ahead. There are more libraries, great libraries, in Alexandria than any other city of the world at this time. There are the closest thing we have to major universities uh, of that period in Alexandria than anywhere up here in the great cities, other great cities of the empire. Um, it, is, um, uh, it is a heavily Greek city. Uh, there, are, there are reports that say that there are more great Greek intellectuals who live in Alexandria than live in Greece or any place else in the empire. Um, uh, the the piece the, the other piece that is interests us is that there are this, the largest Jewish population outside of Palestine lives in Alexandria. More than a million Jews at this time in that first century lived in Alexandria. It was a very large population, and virtually anyone who was a well-known Jewish scholar also lived in Alexandria. You can see what kind of a city this is. Now, born into that city is the young genius whose name is Apollos. Apollos has uh, three things that, uh, that fascinate him early on and that he grows up with in the city of Alexandria. Uh, he is Jewish, so he's going to grow up in the midst of the Jewish population. Uh, he's going to be a Hellenistic Jew, which means he has parentage which is also a part of the, the, the Roman Empire, in the same way that Paul was. Because this is, a, uh, this is one of those cities that to be born there made you a, a citizen of the empire, basically. 
Um, I, and, and, and Apollos is going to become an expert. I don't think PhDs existed, but should they have? He had one in, in uh, Hebrew studies. He is a Hebrew scholar. When we finally encounter him in Acts, he surprises the people around him with his knowledge of what? The, the Hebrew scriptures. He knew the prophets. He knew the prophecies of the Messiah. Uh, he, he knew that the, the, he, he was reared in the, in the Jewish scripture. Second thing is that he becomes a tremendous student of Greek philosophy. A student of Greek philosophy. He actually studies under the, the number one Jewish Greek scholar. Does anybody know what that scholar's name is? <coughs> no, no, not Gamaliel. Gamaliel. Um, now, he's, he's more Greek philosopher than he is Jewish scholar, but he's both. His name is Philo. <coughs> Philo. Uh, when you Google Philo, you will probably be surprised at, uh, at uh, his uh, stature as a, as, a, uh, as a Greek philosopher. He writes book upon book upon book of Greek philosophy. Now, what he tries to do, because he's both a Jew and a Greek philosopher, he's going to spend his life, this Philo's famous for this, trying to do what? Put them together. And he's going to try to create what is essentially a, philo a Greek philosophy that can match so, so that the Greeks and the Jews can talk to each other um, uh, uh, without the divide between them. Okay? He's going to write a great deal about Greek philosophy and he's going to try to harmonize it with Hebrew scriptures. Now, one of the interesting things is it's also about this time that a group of of Jewish scholars are kind of put together, first it's informal, then it becomes quite formal because it takes some years to do it, to produce in Alexandria what becomes known as the Septuagint. Have you heard that word? You have, haven't you? In classes, Septuagint? What is the Septuagint? It was an absolutely famous, becomes a great famous book. It is the translation of the Hebrew Bible into the Greek language for the first time. Translation of the Hebrew Bible into the Greek language. And um, it literally becomes the world Hebrew Bible. Why? Because the world reads what? It's like English today, okay? The, the world read Greek. So virtually all of the people we read about in the New Testament, if they talk about the scriptures, they are talking about the fact that they have access to the Septuagint and they're reading from it. That's all produced in Alexandria. Now the third thing that fascinates Apollos uh, is, and, and this is also a part of the Greek curriculum down here, is the study of rhetoric. <coughs> the study of the processes of public address and the processes of, of speaker-audience relationships and things like that. Those become his three great topics. The Hebrew Scriptures, Greek philosophy, and, and influenced by Philo, he too becomes very interested in the process of relating Greek philosophy to the, 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 the Hebrew story. 
right? And spends a great deal of time on it. Now, all of that's very important to where we're going with it, okay? Because one of the things that happens is that up here in Palestine, things begin to happen in about 20 to 25 AD. Um, we don't usually treat him this way, but there was a very famous man who was starting to work up here. Uh, his name was Johanan ben Zacharias. How do we know him? Did you listen to me? <laughs> Johanan ben Zacharias. John the Baptist, whose father was named Zacharias, and it literally means John, son of Zechariah. Okay? John the Baptist. And down here in Alexandria, uh, what we don't realize is that there's a lot of evidence that John became quite famous in that six or seven, eight years before Jesus actually showed up uh, on, on uh, that, that day. Remember where, where Mark and the other Gospels kind of pick up the story. That, that John's fame spread, okay? Um, because he seemed, not only was he preaching, if you had to summarize from what you know of the Gospels, what was John's message? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, okay? Again and again, that, that's the heart of the message. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And um, uh, uh, John didn't know exactly when, how, where, but repent the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That message now begins to resonate with some young scholars throughout this area, one of whom is Apollos. There's, there, are, uh, there, are, there are indications that Apollos made at least three trips uh, while John was out here preaching in the desert to hear him. You, do you remember that one of the lines in, isn't it Mark's gospel where this is actually discussed? Where... It talks about uh, all of these uh, well-known people who come out to listen to John. John attracted crowds. Uh, that much is clear. And, and Apollos becomes a devotee. Apollos picks up that message. Uh, the truth is, Apollos believes that John matches the Old Testament, the Hebrews, images of what? The Messiah. He believes that John seemed the loner, the one who will come preaching the kingdom of God, the one who will be the one who 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 uh, comes to prepare the way. Now John's going to take the prepare the way line differently than these guys are going to. Okay, because um, because they're going to view John as remember what question does John keep encountering while he's out there. Are you it? Are you it? Tell us. Don't, don't keep it back from us. If you're it, tell us. Well, there were countless people who believed that John was it. One of them appears to have been Apollos early on. Um, now, uh, uh, Apollo, the, Apollos grows up and, and he turns into, you can almost see, he's this charismatic, probably big guy. You know, who has who now knows rhetoric. Now he knows how to speak in public. Now he knows all of the dynamics that go with that. And and he is a brilliant young scholar. We know that quite well. He's mastered the Hebrew scriptures. And now he hears that things are starting to hum here. And images are appearing. If, if it's not John, uh, because the word is out that maybe it's not John, well, 
who is it? And so what Apollos does, and this is where we meet Apollos in the, in the book of Acts. Apollos leaves Alexandria and takes a trip where? He's, he's going to go place, and he's, there are two cities besides Alexandria where it is quite known this time that there's a very large population of Jews and many of them have developed an attachment to John the Baptist. So he's going to go among people that he believes are friends. Do you know what city he goes to first? Corinth? No, not Corinth. That's second. Ephesus. Ephesus. He, he, he takes the trip. Okay, from here, easy trip to there. <coughs> So he goes to Ephesus, and this is where we pick him up in the book of Acts. Uh, he mingles, he speaks, uh, nothing too much happens, um, except that uh, he speaks enough, and at the same time, two people have left Corinth over here and come over, and who are they? <coughs> this is where Aquila and Priscilla show up and meet and in, in chapter, I think, 23 of Acts, uh, uh, 20, I think it's 23, 24, someplace along there, uh, where Apollos uh, shows up, and they listen to him and realize the world has passed him by, and he didn't know it, because he is still hung up on whose message. He is still talking about the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming, and nobody has gotten to him with what message? Huh? The, the Messiah is here. The Messiah is here. And, and it wasn't John, but uh, very close. Very close. And so they appear to begin to straighten him out. Now, we got to remember this. All right? He's not going to stay very long. Because, uh, uh, because one of the places that the people in Ephesus want him to visit is uh, what city, Jim? <coughs> they want him to go to Corinth. In fact, they actually write letters to help him go to Corinth. Uh, and because at Corinth, they think that what he's saying will probably resonate better. Uh, John the, the John the Baptist cult is a little larger there. So they're going to send him to Corinth. And when he gets there, now, the church is there. Paul's already started the church, but Paul's not there. But, uh, but because he's been kind of introduced by the people here at Ephesus, uh, he starts to preach. What does he preach? He's preaching what he knows and what he knows. And 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 he has worked out himself a kind of message, which is part based on the Hebrew world of the coming of the Messiah, and part based in what world? Philo. Think Philo. He's a he's a student of Philo. Philosophy. Philosophy. So he's, he's trying, like Philo, to put these things together. Okay? And he, he thinks there's a reason. After all, after all, he's in court. Where is he? What country is he in? Greece. 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 He is in the, the country of the philosophers outside of Alexandria. So he is expecting that what he's doing is going to find a, a nice hearing here. Okay? We will put these things together. Now, I've got one thing I want you to keep in mind. Put this in the back of your mind. Time is going to be a terrible problem tonight. Um, and that is that he appears to have met somebody at Ephesus who lived there and obviously did some things there, but, but, but uh, 
it appears to me to be semi-retired. Who is it? Who is in Ephesus? Not a, not a preacher. We don't think of him as a preacher. Who is it that after Jesus was crucified, Jesus said, take my mother and take good care of her? Who? John. Said it to John about whom? His mother. And by all indications, there's a, historically this is a pretty well documented fact. Where did, after all of that was over, where did John take Mary? They went to Ephesus. Where John appears to have, what John appears to have made his home. Mostly for the rest of his life, except when he got, if you look where the exile of Patmos is, it's right off the coast here at Ephesus. So it's not far away. I don't, that's not coincidental. Okay? He's in Ephesus. So who else does Apollos meet at Ephesus? Well, John. Let's speak with John. He meets John, the apostle, okay? who years later is going to write a gospel, right? It's going to be a while. John and, and uh, Apollos probably have a few good long discussions. I, I, why wouldn't they? Let's put it that way. And what does uh, John uh, say to Apollos? Well, how are things going? What are you studying? What are you learning? What are you preaching? And Apollos talks to him about what? Apollos talks to him about what we are learning down here in Alexandria by trying to find a way to take the Hebrew scriptures and relate them philosophically in some way so they'll appeal to the Greeks. Does that make sense? In other words, we're following Philo's lead in the study of philosophy. One of Philo's great concepts. He wrote books about the concept. You can sum it up in one word. Do you know what it is? A Greek word. In the beginning was the and it is so John's gospel starts out with with Philo okay and uh, every the, the whole way of describing the what John's gospel starts out with we've, we've often commented on the fact that that's right out of Greek philosophy of course it is and it probably came to John through Apollos from Alexandria. Okay? Because it's not something John himself would have studied. You, you follow what I'm saying? Okay? We're, we're, we're setting these kind of relationships in place. Okay, we got Apollos at Corinth. Follow my story. We got Apollos at Corinth. He preaches. And he starts preaching this wonderful combination for him of Hebrew scriptures foreseeing the Messiah, the Messiah is coming, Jesus, and he starts to preach, I think under the influence of uh, Priscilla, uh, he starts to preach, but he's also got what mixed in with his preaching. These wonderful conceptualizations out of Greek philosophy. We're not sure what they are, unless of course you read 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 like we did this morning in class. Because when Paul got wind of this, what Apollos was preaching, how happy was Paul? Why not? 
Uh, yeah, that's wonderfully said. It was off base. Paul saw this about as off base as you can get. Now, um, there were many Greeks who were in the Corinthian church who were saying, wow, Paul doesn't preach like this. Finally, somebody who speaks our language. Apollos, we need to hire you as our new minister. Wait, I got my churches scrambled, didn't I? <laughs> uh, and others who said, Paul would not like this, Apollos. We better stick with Paul. And so what does Paul, when Paul, you, you know, we, remember two years ago when we studied Paul? And you remember Paul had that, don't, don't cross me streak? You, do you remember when we talked about that? That Paul could get upset really pretty easily in some, in some cases. You, 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 what, what, what is kind of necessary is for us to read certain things saying to ourselves, I wonder who brought that up, okay? Because if we go to 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, if I read this to you, you could tell me who Paul is talking about, couldn't you? Okay, okay. Let's see. Let's see. Where is it? Uh, Doug, we had a good discussion of this in class this morning. Um, if we, let, let's, where's the best place for us to pick up? When I came to you brothers, Paul is talking to them, I did not come with eloquence or superior witness as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. Who did? Uh, Paul, Apollos came, and uh, what was he really good at? Eloquent. And, and uh, what kind of a message did he bring? Wisdom is the closest English word we have to the idea of Greek philosophy. The wisdom of the Greeks was the, were the, um, uh, the other Greek philosopher who was very big in Alexandria as a, uh, not that he was there, he was uh, two centuries earlier, was uh, Plato. The Platonists were very, very big in Alexandria, and Philo was one of them. Um, I proclaim to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Uh, let's see, my message and my preaching. I want to back up to one. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where the scholar? Well, we know where they are. They're in Alexandria. Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. And you, you go on and on, and he keeps talking about what? The awfulness of wisdom. Who were they listening to? Why is he so distressed? Because Paul is really distressed in these words. Uh, he's distressed because of the preaching that Apollos has brought here. And he is so upset, he's going to start out the long letter reading the riot act. But you know what? He doesn't seem to want to offend Apollos. Because if he did, he would probably, probably by name. name names. Yeah, name names. 
but he comes really, I mean, it's, it, as though it's a secret, it's no secret who he's writing about. And everybody there is looking around saying, uh-oh. Well, he does mention him in 112. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. He doesn't, it's not, uh, uh, he doesn't the division. call him out. Yeah, he, he doesn't call him out as such, but pretty close. Now, the reason Apollos is, does, is so, let me tell you, basically, here's we know what happened to Apollos. Uh, um, uh, uh, what Paul wrote um, was a major hit in Apollos's career. Uh, it, it's sort of like um, uh, what we know is we can kind of tell um, that Apollos went undercover, uh, probably didn't stop what he was working on, but he kind of disappears from the scene now, he reappears at the end of Paul's life. In fact, um, uh, when we did, talked about Titus, if you go and read the little letter at the end about Titus, you will see where he says, I'm sending Paul to you to uh, Crete, help him go wherever he's going. We're not even told exactly where that is. But what the history of the church tells us is that about 20 years after this, which would be about uh, 8 or 10 years after the death of Paul, Apollos went back to Corinth and became bishop of the church in Corinth. Um, which probably tells us something about the influence that he had those years earlier. There are still a lot of people around who remember Apollos. The biggest thing, though, about what he did is the mark of Greek philosophy remains in several major parts of the New Testament. Will it surprise you to know that one of the major places where Greek philosophy kind of pokes its head through is the book of Hebrews? Read it and see. Not only is there Greek philosophy, but there's some, there's some really tricky Old Testament stuff, Hebrew scripture stuff in Hebrews. Um, and we've kind of argued, you remember, that uh, we argued that who wrote Hebrews? Priscilla. Priscilla wrote Hebrews. Who spent hour upon hour upon hour talking to Apollos? Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla. One of the reasons, I have argued, why Apollos seems to have been so open to listen to Priscilla if you think about this, why would he be really open to listening to Priscilla? Because he's quite the trained scholar himself. But what does Priscilla do for him? She listens to him. In other words, this is not a one-way conversation. What's she learning from, what's she going to learn from Apollos? The stuff he's doing. And some of that's going to show up in Hebrews. Now, um, I told you, John's Gospel, not just in the prologue, but several places in John's Gospel. Guess what appears? Greek allusions to Greek philosophy. Um, and my view of this is that um, there was a need you know how when you go among people, you got to learn to kind of talk like they talk? you got to learn to speak their language a little bit? I mean, if you say, I ain't, I ain't learning your language, you can learn mine. I'm not learning. How's that go? It doesn't fly, does it? 
You have to try to adjust. And, and what, what happened to not just the Hebrew scriptures, but as the Hebrew scriptures began to morph into Christian scriptures, it became absolutely necessary, if you're going to try to win Greek people to your faith, you're going to have to do what? You're going to have to deal with the world to a certain extent in the terms that they deal with the world. We've all learned that. And the reason that I view Apollos in such a positive light is that it seems to me that the one who, who helped these writers um, and preachers and others who were, who were carrying out this missionary work that, that helped them learn something about the Greek speaking world and the nature of the philosophies that, that colored the Greek speaking world um, was largely due to the fact that this group early on had within it a specialist in Greek philosophy who just happened also to be not just a Jew, but a Christian. Does that make sense? Um, and, and as you think about the influences on the Bible that show, the, 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 that show Greek philosophy being used to interpret things, um, uh, it, uh, it, it's quite striking how often that, that happens. And I'm not sure without Apollos that that would have taken place. So that's why I put Apollos in that list. Um, do we need a break? Oh boy, yeah, big break. Um, okay, let me let me. Uh, I talk too much. Uh, that, I, 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 my students say that too. Um, uh, not very often because I don't love them. But but uh, the other person I want to introduce to you tonight uh, is, um, is uh, will not take quite as long, even though the story is absolutely fabulous. Her name is Junia. Junia, the woman, Junia. She is in Romans, the Romans 16 list. J-U-N-I-A. Junia. Oh, there, uh. <clears throat> Uh, do, you, uh, do you want to find her real quick uh, in Romans 16? Verse 7, is that what it is? We alluded to this last week. What verse did you say? 7. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. We have about four things there to talk about. Um, one of them is uh, the fact that um, uh, there are people who argue that this is not a junia, is, is a junius, not a junia. That it's a man and not a woman. Which is really, honestly, dishonest, because it isn't true. And the reason we know it isn't true is that there's absolutely no manuscript before 1300 um, that is not this name in the female case. I have a note saying sometimes it reads Julia. Well, that's even farther off. <laughs> there, is, there, is a, uh, there is a manuscript, I think, that, does, that lists her as Julia. But, uh, but most of the scholars who look at that 
I say that uh, somebody wrote the name so badly they couldn't quite figure out what that letter was. And uh, so uh, uh, virtually uh, the men didn't start to try to mess with this name and turn it from female to male until about, um, until about the 12th or 13th century. Um, uh, the early manuscripts are quite clear. This is, a, this is a man and woman. The only question is, how are they related? Um, I, how does Paul talk about it? What's his phrase for? My, my rose. The, the word is kinsman, actually, in the Greek. Um, my relative, my kinsman. Uh, I think we said last week that usually when the word kinsman appears in the New Testament, it's referring to what relationship? It's a cousin relationship. And I think that's probably the case. And it also says my fellow prisoner. Uh, it does. Well, they, they were in prison with him. That's a separate item, Jim. I think you should find that one separated from the other one. Okay. Um, uh, they are in prison with him, probably in Rome, where we find them write him writing to them here. Uh, because Paul spent a lot of time in a, in a Roman prison. Um, uh, so uh, they appear to be cousins. They clearly are related to Paul. Um, what does Elsa say about what are the other two things? Who were outstanding among the apostles. An apostle, called an apostle, who, what's the fourth one? Who, were, who was in Christ. Let's take, the, let's take the last one first. Who were in Christ before I was. Okay, let that, let that soak in. Okay. Who were in Christ before I was. If they were in Christ, which would, I assume, mean followers of Christ. Okay, is that fair? Yeah. Followers of Christ. Where would they have to be living to be followers of Christ? Before Paul. They'd have to be in Jerusalem. They would have to be in Jerusalem. Okay. Did Paul ever live in Jerusalem? Did Paul ever live in Jerusalem? Yes, he did. Okay. Because he was born in what city? Tarsus. Tarsus, which is right there. Here's Jerusalem down, right down here, okay, Tarsus. Um, and why did Paul, as a teenager, go to Jerusalem? To study, to go to school, yeah, to go to university, to study under Gamaliel, uh, the, the great Jewish rabbi. Um, so, uh, did he, the question then is, did he go alone? And it sounds like the answer probably it has to be, no, he didn't go alone. Would you expect him to necessarily if he's a teenager going to school? No. Um, are you aware that in Acts, uh, when Paul finds himself in a tight spot, um, we are told who rescues him from the tight spot? It's in chapter 23, chapter 23 of Acts. Huh? His sister. His, his sister. And her son, his nephew. Wouldn't that be his nephew? Yeah. Sister, son, nephew. Yeah. Um, who obviously live in where? Live in Rome. Uh, Rome. Where? Yeah, cities. Got too many cities. Live in Jerusalem. Okay. So he's got a sister in Jerusalem. She has a family. Sounds like in Jerusalem. Uh, the the boy who rescues Paul kind of knows his way around the neighborhood. It sounds like. So they appear not to be strangers. If, read, read the interesting story, because it's the, it's the nephew who hears that they're about to kill Paul, 
and he goes and tells Paul in prison, and Paul says, go tell the Roman guy over there, and he goes and tells the Roman guy over there, and next thing you know, Paul's out of prison. So, so we have a family in Jerusalem, okay? And if we have a family in Jerusalem now who are going to become Christians before Paul, how early are they going to have to become Christians? <clears throat> Damascus Road. That's early. Well, you, you, I can't avoid the idea that um, that uh, they all they all came to left Tarsus and came to Jerusalem when when Paul came, Saul came to go to school, which means they're kind of around this country while Jesus is out walking around. That, am I making too much out of this? We're piecing it together, okay? And they become followers of Jesus. Now we have to, you know, can I add the last piece? And the last piece is, if you've got a family over here that includes Paul's sister, a couple of his cousins who seem to be there too, and an extended family because there's at least one child in the group, um, and Paul has now become a Christian. No, no, let me back that up. Paul has graduated and... Um, and it's going to be sent by the Jewish officials on a mission. To do what? Go to Damascus and kill, and that's exactly the way it's said, kill Christians. Knowing that in Jerusalem, who's there? His, his own family of Christians. Now, let's have him walk down that road toward Damascus thinking, holy cow, what am I doing? Because if I do well there, they're going to send me back here to the big city to do what? Yeah. <laughs> Who's going to be in my lineup here? I'd hope God would appear to me on that road too. Because this is getting really uncomfortable. You, do you see? Do you yeah. see what I'm saying? Okay? That that this thing about the breakdown and the appearance on the Damascus Road can have all sorts of miraculous dimensions to it. But we're talking about we're talking about putting somebody in a situation where life is life could easily come unraveled. You, does that make? Am I making too much of this? <coughs> Um, I asked Andrea to get out her big um, what DSM psychology book and find me a um, description of the name of whatever that psychological condition is. It's got several names where you realize you are trapped between what you are being told to do on this side and the family that is pulling to you on that side. And it's not a comfortable position to be in. I love 
uh, the uh, now at some point, okay, at some point, uh, Andronicus and Junius, and I, I truly think that not only are they Paul's cousins, but they are probably a brother and sister. I think they are. I don't think they're married. I think they're a brother and sister. Um, they are going to literally be together the rest of their lives, and I think it's going to be that kind of a sibling relationship. They are going to decide to work together. Um, but I love the affection with which Paul writes the lines, greet Andronicus and Junius, Junia, my relatives. He's trying, he's understating, doesn't want to make a big deal of it. And yet, how often? And at some point, when Paul is ready to go on the missionary trips, um, and off he goes out of Jerusalem, and the persecutions are starting to, you know, we've killed Stephen, uh, you, you get a sense that many of these Christians decide it's time to go. It's time to go do what we were sent to do. And I think it's at that point that Andronicus and Junius decide to uh, <coughs> leave Jerusalem and go where? Oh. Where, do, where are they? Rome. They're in Rome. Do they have relatives in Rome too? Yes. Didn't we deal with that last week? Yeah. Paul, mother, how much would you want to put on the fact that, um, that Andronicus and Junia's mother, Paul's mother's sister, probably already is in Rome too. I'll let you work on that. <laughs> um, Junius, Junius role here. Um, the reason that this is so remarkable is because this is the only, this is the only woman who is actually called an apostle. And that's the sticking point down through history, um, particularly among those who simply their theology will not allow a woman to be in that highest of Christian responsibilities. The highest office that the New Testament church had. That's right, isn't it? Dr. Lamb was apostle. That was the highest. It wasn't an official office. but It wasn't an official was office, but it was the highest title you could yes. be given. And she is given it by Paul. Now, you realize Paul was very jealous of that for himself. He called himself, I'm an apostle. Last of all, he appeared to me, an apostle. Okay, because he said, Jesus appeared to me and sent me. <clears throat> Finally. Yeah, at, 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 at last, at last <laughs> in the line, yeah. Um, so, for Paul to designate these two as apostles, you know, occasionally he could call Barnabas an apostle. You know, it's kind of a, he's a really nice guy doing good work, you know. And, um, uh, and probably did see Jesus at some point. Okay? Um, the word apostle is used to designate what? Sent. What did you say? Sent out by Jesus. Yes, yeah, sent by, by Jesus. Commissioned in some, commissioned in some way. Um, how could that have been the case with these two? What might have... We know that there were some groups that Jesus does appear to have commissioned. 
Uh, remember we alluded to the group of 70? You know, in one of the Gospels where he says he called together 70, gave them instructions, sent them out two by two to do various things. Um, and after his resurrection, remember how many apparent, how many people? 500. A group, a group at one point of 500. Um, you can't imagine him not sending them out, can you? I mean, now you all go, you know, spread the word. Uh, give them a kind of great commission, send them out. Um, undoubtedly, they were, they could easily have been in those groups, one or both of those groups. Um, and it's entirely conceivable they could have been someplace else on the world, because we're only given such a fraction of the, of the story. Uh, the interesting thing is that Junia of all of the women in the Bible, with the exception probably of the two Marys, Mary the mother and Mary Magdalene, Junia has been more studied and examined and thought about and used as an example more often than any of the other women in the Bible. Junia has that role. So in a sense, what, what I'm doing is I'm saying that, that here are two really influential people. Apollos, who, who literally introduced, despite Paul's, I think, really fury at first about it, um, but I think as, as with Paul on a lot of things, over time that all kind of went away. And, and Paul... Uh, toward the end of his life, seems to have made amends with a lot of people and, um, and accepted things that at certain points in his life he didn't accept. Um, and, and I think Apollos and um, the, role of Greek, the role of Greek thought in writing Christian messages, I think, uh, I, and that clearly became a part of what was uh, put together in a lot of the a lot of the writings of the New Testament, uh, even at some points in Paul's own uh, own stuff, they're in Timothy. There's there are two or three uh, Greek allusions, um, uh, and not to criticize them, but to use them as examples for uh, understanding Christian ideas, Christian doctrines. Uh, so so these two to me are crucially important, Apollos and and Junia. Now. Uh, I, I'm, it is five till. I, I skipped a few things, but that's okay. Um, uh, 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 respond to some things that are your you know, thoughts. I've never thought about this thing of Paul and having family on the other side when he was in the role of this persecutor, a very rabid persecutor. Mm -hmm. But then you think about that and you think you go all the way back to Stephen. And when Stephen was, uh, was accosted and uh, was thrown out and they were going to stone him, and some people have thought that maybe Paul was already having second thoughts about his position, and maybe that's the reason yeah. that he didn't throw the stones, but he held the coat. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think yeah, that's a I think that's that's he fair. Couldn't do, he couldn't yeah. do the deed, but he could just stand on the background. And you 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 have to wonder. And, yeah. and at first, you know, we know what it's like with uh, brothers and sisters who are separated for a long time 
We don't see the same. No, we don't see each other. Um, uh, and then things can happen that make that change. Um, I, I'm very interested in, in how often Paul might have seen his own, the sister, who is, who is important enough with her son to merit inclusion in Luke's story. Well, some have said that, uh, I wonder if this is, uh, who have said, maybe Junia is the sister. I, it's not something that I'm, that I lean toward, but you, of course you can make that case. And that, that the son is named Andronicus, you could. So, so it's a mother and, it's a mother and child, the two of them. But, but the important thing, I think, is to put them in Jerusalem. And I don't think you have any choice but to do that. Because they could not have become Christians early without being in Jerusalem. Just couldn't have happened that early. Other thoughts? Some of you, I know, are thinking away. Did Judy ever show up again? No. No. Well, uh, in history, they do. Then I told you I left out some things. I left out the ending of the story. I should tell you the ending of the story. Okay. After, after uh, when, when, the, uh, when, when the persecutions broke out, okay, in, uh, Nero's persecutions, um, uh, um, there were, uh, the, the ones who were close around the family we talked about last week seemed to have kind of held tight, okay, and tried to stay. You know, I think I left out one thing last week about our friend Putin's. And it's just the old mind just skipping beats here and there. But I forgot to tell you what he did for a living. Do you, do, does anyone remember? John, did you see what he did, did for a living? <coughs> well, he was a United States senator. No, 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 Roman. I did that on purpose. <laughs> but the point is that if you look up Putin's, you'll find out that he was a member of the Roman Senate, which was part of the reason that they had a kind of protective layer around them. It didn't, didn't last always, but but he, did I say that last week? Okay, I didn't remember saying that. I thought I'd left that out. Um, um, I was gonna tell you what happened to him, okay? Uh, they took off together. Uh, they left Rome. Uh, they would make periodic trips back. We do know that. But they went to, they became, this is a good story, we should, we need this. They became missionaries in Pannonia. I can't write on this, I wish I could. Um, see that word right there? there? This is it right here. It is a huge area. That's Pannonia. Okay. Uh, this is Greece. This is Achaia. The, this is the Roman province of Achaia, where Greece is down here. The one above it, where's the word? Right there. The one above it here is Dalmatia. There's the red line that goes right across there. This is Dalmatia, <laughs> where Titus was sent. The one right above it, where the red line picks up here, goes all the way across and covers this whole area, is called Pannonia. This was one of the toughest mission fields that Paul always wanted to go to and never got to. Uh, the Germanic peoples, okay, and what became the Russians came over from here and settled here. Okay? 
the, the Germanic peoples came up from here in, and, and it took Rome 50 years to conquer Pannonia. What is that area today? Uh, several things. Um, I'd, have to, I'd, I'd have to look to be sure. Is it Albania right in that area? Huh? Is it Albania? Albania is in that area. There's, Serbia, there's, there's about a half a dozen. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's mountainous. It's hard to defend. It's hard to move around in. And the people were ugly and mean. <laughs> and yet, this became the place. This became the territory. Well, no, wait, that came out badly. <laughs> uh, what I mean by that is, they were tough people, okay? Religion was not their thing. And, and it, this is the area that, um, that uh, Andronicus and Junia moved into and literally lived their lives here, making periodic trips back from here over to Rome, which is right there, okay? Not far. Uh, the word in some of the old manuscripts is nobody else would go there. So Paul's two relatives took it and did it and converted a lot of people. Were they killed? They were both martyred. Yeah, there. Virtually all of this second generation was almost all of them. Other comments before we leave? Please. You're I, 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 you know by now that, um, that the more we can make these kinds of things come alive, the more the scriptures seem to touch our lives. That's my belief. Um, to realize these are human beings. These were not angels doing God's work. They were in a sense, but no more than we have angels around us today. Um, and for, 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 for us to appreciate those people who, who travel the world in the dangerous places, in all of our Sunday school classes, we remember those things. We pray for those people. We think about them. Well, they're the equivalent of these, these people that we're talking about. Uh, I, I, one of the things that always strikes me about these is the diversity of these people. You've got Apollos on one hand, you've got a, a, a Junia and a Timothy and, and Putin's. I mean, there is no one model here. Uh, it takes them all to make this kind of work. But they won the world. They won the world for Christ. And Christianity is the only thing out of that whole period, essentially. Well, Joe, one day when, when you get to heaven, they'll all be up here and they can sit down in a group like this and you can just talk to all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Find out well, you said we went down. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I think you know, I'm just struck by, nice the, by the desperate attempt to cover these people up and write them out of history. If they call Junia an apostle, it has to be because it was true. Because there's, you know, otherwise they would have done anything to get it out of there. She was being demon. Yeah. yeah. What they did, of course, try to make her a man. Well, right around. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sex change. Which wasn't wasn't successful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my friends, um, let's ask God to go with us. 
Thank you for our time, dear God. Thank you for these great people of our past. May they live not only in eternity, but with us around our tables and in the daily lives that we live. May we find ourselves in them. And may we find them making their way into us. We thank you for the Christ who all of these people served with every ounce of their lives. May we, we pray, be worthy of doing the same.